Okay, so every good message starts out with caveats. And <laughs> these are the caveats for today. First of all, we're traveling through Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and bringing Luke's message, you know, through various ways during this season. And, uh, but the passage that I'm going to be referring to comes from Mark. So you need to know that because I want you to go home and read the Luke story of this passage and the Mark story, and you go, oh, I can see why Randy went with Mark. So, <laughs> so just pretend like it's Luke. It's in the same place. It's in the same uh, place in the, the line of stories. But Mark just adds wonderful details that Luke doesn't bother to add. So Luke did some editing and said, oh, I don't really need this or this or this. But I'm thinking, no, it needed that and that and that. And so, so pretend like we're in Luke, but I'm going to be reading from Mark. Okay? First caveat. Next caveat is, it's Pentecost Sunday, and the only time you're going to hear the word Pentecost in this sermon is right now. That's it? Okay? So, um, and the other thing is, the last time I preached here was actually pre-pandemic. And, you know, and that's when we wore lapel mics. And, you know, we could, like, walk around. And, and I've watched videos of me preaching in the past, and I'm like pacing back and forth all the time. And I know it's this nervous energy I have. And, and I'm, I feel like, oh, gosh, I'm stuck right here because here's this. And so anyway, know that I'm struggling with that. Okay? So I, I need to like move around. And, but anyway. Okay. So let's get started here. I'm going to read the passage all the way through first. It's going to be up there on the screen as well. And then we'll dive into it. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. 
The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed and perfectly sane. They were all afraid. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demons-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Great story, huh? Well, when I was a pastor back in the 90s in southwestern Michigan at a church there not too far from Jeremiah and Sarah's church, actually, uh, every year we had a Halloween party for the youth of the church. Not knowing, I should add, that in many churches, Halloween parties were frowned upon. But anyway, at our church, the kid would, kids would all come in costumes, you know, cute to blood-curdling, funny to frightening, and we would get together and play games. I remember one game they loved to play was this game called Sardines. Ever play that? It's kind of like the reverse of hide-and-seek. One person hides, and everybody else tries to seek that person. And, and when they find the person, then they, they hang with that person in their hiding spot until everybody finally finds that person, and... By the way, I need to tell you that they're doing this in the whole church, and we keep it dark. And when that last person comes upon the whole group that have already found the person, they all jump out and scream and yell, and they all shriek and have fun. <laughs> but another game I loved was Wrap the Mummy. And you had teams, and one person on that team was the mummy, and the other people had to take a whole roll of toilet paper, wrap it around the person, and the first person to get that job done, the first team wins. But along with games and all that stuff, my favorite part was every year I got to tell a scary Bible story. <laughs> yeah, and this was my favorite scary Bible story to tell. <laughs> and you can imagine why. I mean, it's got everything. You know, the site is a cemetery. What better place for a scary story than a cemetery? And it's about demon possession, for goodness sake. You know, come on, Halloween, scary, demon possession. And then this guy, he is wild, wildly strong, wildly terrifying. You know, as it says, they could put chains on him and shackle him, and he could break out of those with a shriek and a howl, which he says he's wandering about the cemetery and shrieking and howling all day. And then he's also a cutter, you know, taking sharp stones and cutting himself which probably helped him shriek and howl better. So, I mean, you know, since today's emphasis is 
And I don't know if you know this. I mean, it was in the thing that we saw before the service started about the service, but marginalized people in Jesus. I wonder who could be more marginalized than this man? Think about it. I mean, he was so marginalized, the people in the surrounding community of town, you know, sort of said, okay, the cemetery for you, as far away from us as we can get you. That's your place. And they tried to keep him there by restraining him, which we find out didn't really work because he's so powerfully strong he could break through the chains. But they wanted to keep that physical separation. They really wanted him on the margin, as far away from them as they could be. But there was not only that margin, there was this emotional, psychological, spiritual margin. I mean, I guess that a lot of those people saw him as so distant from them that they considered him kind of subhuman. You know, just this wild creature that wasn't even human anymore. This dark, shadowy person, kind of like a wolf man in their midst. But as scary and as marginalized as that man was, he also served, I think, an important service to that community. Because everybody could have a sense of belonging because he was so far over here in the margin. So even if you were somebody who felt like people didn't like you and you didn't belong, well, you weren't as bad as that guy. You know? So, so you always felt like you belonged to this community, that you were part of this community, no matter how bad you were and how much other people didn't like you, you weren't as bad as Joe. Let's call him Joe. Joe, who lived in the cemetery. You know, that was an important role Joe played. People could feel good about themselves, feel like they belonged because Joe didn't belong. He was completely honest. So anyway, Jesus arrives from the other side of the lake and comes upon Joe, who we are told ran to meet him. Joe shrieks and screams at Jesus, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, don't torture me. For Mark tells us, and this is important, Jesus had already said to the Spirit, Come out of him. Well, two things we have to deal with here right off the bat, and one is that Joe, the demon-possessed man, identifies Jesus for who he is, the Son of the Most High God. Interesting, huh? I mean, the disciples aren't going to figure that out for three more chapters. <laughs> and then when they do, you know that famous exchange where Jesus says, who do the people say that I am? And they say, they think he's your prophet or something. And he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. And you go, oh, wow, great. But as we read along, at least to my reading, it doesn't seem like the disciples really figure it out until after the resurrection. I mean, even though Jesus and Peter said that, it's like, I eh, can't be sure you really know who Jesus is. But this demon-possessed man did. And the second thing to notice here is that the spirit that is in Joe is not, and I repeat, not doing what Jesus is telling him. You get that? The spirit, I mean, Jesus is telling the spirit to come out of this man. 
but the Spirit's not doing it. You go, whoa, wait a minute here. What's going on? Can this evil spirit choose not to obey Jesus? Is not Jesus the sovereign Lord to whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess? Wow. Well, let's keep going and see what happens. So then Jesus demands that this demon-possessed man, you know, Joe, tell him what his name is. And he says, my name is Legion because there are many of us inside this man. And then the Legion and Jesus have a sort of conversation where um, it's a bargaining session where Legion is telling Jesus, well, I'm willing to obey you if, on my conditions, my terms, if you don't send us to some distant place, but you send us into that herd of pigs over there on the hillside. Fascinating, huh? I mean, so Jesus and Legion are sort of working out the details of this exorcism. Yeah, working out the details of the exorcism. And now are you thinking, well, gosh, should I abandon my faith? I mean, are, are the creeds that I learned really true? When does, you know, Jesus make a deal with the devil? But it seems like he's doing that here. Well, for me, I've always loved this exchange because it blesses me and helps me. I see, wow, Jesus is human just like I am. Even Jesus is still learning and growing. Even Jesus is still discovering. And in this encounter with Joe, he's learning more about this man and his needs and what's going on so that he can better do what's just and right and best in this situation. Now, I mean, we all know that Jesus had to learn and grow and discover. I mean, he was born an infant. How many of us have ever been with an infant? You know, I mean... But sometimes we forget that even as adults, we still learn and grow and discover. Let's not forget that, adults here. We continue to learn and grow throughout our lives. So then Mark tells us, Jesus grants the legion of evil spirits their request. He gives them permission to enter into the herd of pigs, and they do. And then the big surprise the totally unexpected thing goes down, and that is that whole herd of 2,000 pigs rushes headlong down the hillside into the lake and drowns. Well, I did some research on the internet, and the average weight of a pig per market is 250 pounds, and right now the price for that 250-pound pig at the market is $135. So multiply that by 2,000 pigs, and we're talking about $270,000. Yeah. 
Keep that in mind as we proceed. 270,000 died. Well, the herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. The people rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. So the herdsmen go and tell the news around the surrounding community. What do you suppose they're telling them? I think they're telling them, our local economy just took a big hit. We just lost $270,000. And this guy, Jesus, is to blame. We saw Jesus and Joe, you know the crazy guy, talking in the cemetery. And the next thing we know, Joe's saying, but the pigs are rushing down the hill into the lake and drowning. It's all Jesus' fault. <coughs> so as the people in the surrounding towns and villages and countryside come to the spot and look down the hillside and see all the pigs floating on the lake, They plead and beg for Jesus to leave. Well, don't you think the crowd's reaction is telling? No mention of anyone rejoicing that Joe is now a whole person again, healed, restored. No mention of anyone thanking Jesus for this amazing restoration that has just happened. No, instead, there's fear. You notice Mark uses the word, they're afraid. They're afraid. What are they afraid of? This Jesus guy is going to ruin us. We will all be in poverty soon with Jesus around. I mean, it's great and all that, you know, Joe's better, but 2,000 pigs? That is too much. That is way too much. Hence the cry, Jesus, go home. Jesus, go home. But Jesus' reaction is telling too. I mean, I'm surprised that we never hear Jesus apologize for the pigs. Really? Surely he's aware of the economic impact of what just happened on that community. All of the livelihoods depending on those pigs and pig farming. And another thing, and this to me is huge, Jesus never offers to compensate for the loss of those pigs. Think about that. Let that settle in. I think of two different gospel stories that have something to say to this situation. One is also in Luke, chapter 7, the healing of the widow of Nain. You know that story? It's only in Luke. And uh, it, it goes like this. A funeral procession was coming out as Jesus approached the village gate. 
The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Now you notice how Jesus' heart overflowed with compassion for that woman because she'd lost her son. And as you know, in that society at that time, really, a woman's economic security and well-being was attached to a man. She didn't have a man. Her husband, she was a widow. Her husband was dead, and her only son had died too. And Jesus knew the predicament he was in. She was in. So with compassion, he raises the son back up, gives back the son to the mother, and now she has economic security again. Didn't Jesus have any compassion for those pig farmers? I mean, surely he could have raised those pigs from the dead. Right? Or there is the story from Matthew chapter 17 where Peter's asked, does your master pay the temple tax? And uh, Peter says, oh yeah, he sure does. And then a little later, Jesus comes up to Peter and explains how, he says, Peter, we don't have to pay the temple tax because we're sons of God the king. You know, we're the people who they pay taxes to. He said, but in order not to offend, in order not to cause offense, he says, go down to the lake and throw in a line, open the mouth of the first fish you catch, and you will find a large silver coin. Take it and pay the tax for both of us. Well, I think, whoa, Jesus just caused great offense in the garrison. They were so offended that they said, Jesus, get out of here. Leave immediately. Well, surely with the power he possessed to come up with money, he could have compensated them for their pigs, reimbursed them for their losses. And yet he didn't. Let that sink in. $270,000. Jesus didn't do any of those things. This is what he did from verse 18 through 20. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family. Tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. So Jesus tells them, go back to your family. Go back to your community. Be restored to them. Jesus puts the emphasis not on the fear, but on the healing and restoration of this man. This very, very broken man. And Jesus tells Joe to go tell everyone how God has had his mercy on him. And that he's no longer on the margins, but he's back to the mainstream. He's back in community. 
But another thing I want you to notice about this is that frequently in the Gospels, when Jesus performs a healing, he tells that person who was just healed not to tell anyone. That happens a lot. And, of course, immediately the person he just told not to tell anyone goes out and blabs it all over. I mean, you know. But still, he tells them not to tell. But here, suddenly, he is telling him to tell everyone. Go everywhere. Tell them all. And so you got to wonder, well, why the change in course? Why the reverse? And my hunch is, because this is the only story I can think of in the Gospels, where the valuation of an individual's The worth of an individual's healing and wholeness is given to us in sort of human terms. Right? 2,000 pigs. $270,000. That's what this man's healing was worth. Now, in an abstract sort of way, we all know this because we all know that, hey, Jesus, his life of sacrificial suffering love his being bludgeoned to death, crucified, spiked to a cross. That's what we were worth to him. But you know what? It's still abstract just because Jesus paid that price. We didn't. But the pig farmers in this story, they paid the price. They paid the price. They experienced the sacrifice. Jesus didn't make it soft or easy for them. They experienced some of the tremendous cost of healing. Well, you know, I think this story speaks to our current healthcare system here in America. This story tells us that every human life, no matter how marginalized or how broken, is worth it to God to heal and make whole. And secondly, that yes, there can be a huge social cost to healing. And that we should be willing, even prepared, to pay that price. The marginalized Joes of our world are worth it, is what this scripture passage says. Instead of resenting the cost, we should be rejoicing in the wholeness it brings. Yet we here in the United States, it seems like we are in the same camp as the people who came and saw all the dead pigs and said, Jesus, get out of here. Go away. I think we are only the only developed nation in the world, developed nation now, that has not yet figured out how to make health care affordable for all its citizens. Well, is that because we're not smart enough? Is that because we don't care about marginalized people? Is that because we don't have compassion for people with mental illness? Or is it because we aren't willing to make the sacrifice needed to restore these individuals to wholeness. Restore them back to community. 
Anyway, Jesus' words and actions tell us that Joe is worth it. Joe's life matters a lot. In fact, Jesus goes on to die for Joe, just like he dies for all of us. Each one of us in this room is worth more than 2,000 pigs to Jesus. We are worth being plotted against, despised by the establishment, whipped, beaten, brutally executed. We're worth that to Jesus. Our restoration, our wholeness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now Jesus challenges us. Is the healing and restoration of marginalized people worth it to us? Restoring marginalized people, is it worth it to us? Let's pray. Jesus, you are so amazing. We love you. Stories like this cause me to love you and worship you and thank you. And God, may stories like this cause us to be kinder, more compassionate people, really caring about marginalized people, doing all that we can to bring them back from brokenness, bring them back into community, take them from the margins. Jesus, thank you. Amen. <laughs>